<laughs> all right, so today we're talking about overwhelmed, and here's what I've learned about being overwhelmed, that we all have it at some point. I mean, but it's, but it's all unique for people. Like, there are four primary temperaments that we all have in our humanity, the way we've been created. So we have everything on this sliding scale over here that's like, uh, when, when, when I'm experiencing overwhelm, we're all experiencing overwhelm, right? You know that person. You might be that person. When you're, when you're having a bad day, we're all having a bad day, right? All the way over here to the stuffer that stuffs it all, and then once it explodes, it's ugly, right? And then everything in between. But we all deal with overwhelm unless you're like the most stoic human on the planet because we all deal with overwhelm based on different things. There are some of us that deal with overwhelm because of family dynamics, even extended family dynamics. We have folks that have overwhelm because of their marriage or because of their children or because of their parents or because of a job or lack thereof or it's about finances or it's about health or we have folks that are overwhelmed today just over the whole general perspective of life in America. I mean, I, I talked with a person this week who just said, Pastor, I just, I just can't do it anymore. And I said, you can't do what anymore? She said, I just can't take it anymore. And I said, well, what can't you take anymore? And she, and she said, the whole thing. And I said, that helps. <laughs> Narrow it down just a bit for me. And she said, I just can't take all the bad news. I said, well, tell me what you do every night. She said, well, we have dinner by about 6.30. And I said, where do you eat your dinner? She said, in the den. And I said, what's going on while you're eating? We're watching the news. Oh. When you finish, do you have heartburn? <laughs> well, no. I said, do you feel better? No. I said, why don't you stop doing that? Well, I, I want to be, be up to speed on what's going on in the world. I said, she told me what channel she's watching. I said, can I just give you this thought? Stop it. Stop it. Go to your dining room and sit there and have a meal and talk about y'all. And talk about what's going on in your world. Not what somebody else is telling you your world is. Stop it. Okay, we're done. Now, uh, we can move on from overwhelm. We'll talk about next week's subject. I've covered everything I need to cover, Pastor. We're good. All right. But overwhelm is something that I, I looked it up and I came to these three words that really define overwhelm in our life. Number one, when we feel like we have drowned. When it feels like we're just completely underwater, there's nothing else we can do, and we've, we've, we're grasping and there's no oxygen, we're just taking in water and we're sinking faster than we can recover and we know that the end is near. There's an overwhelm sense when we feel like we have drowned. There's a sense of overwhelm when we feel defeated. When we feel like we've lost at something and there, there's nothing in between, like Pastor Bobby and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, that it's either this or that, but there's no possible way it's in the middle. We feel like we've completely been defeated, that everything in our life was a win or lose, and we've prepared for this time in our life, and we lost. I was on the phone with another fellow, actually, Zoom call this week, and his, his thing to me was because he said, I'm, I'm done with my career, I'm done with my wife, I'm done with my children, I'm done with my grandchildren, I'm done. And when it came down to it, it all came down to this one statement where he said, at this stage of my life, I thought that I would have achieved so much more. And, and being the mercy-filled person I am, I just, I just said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. 
I mean, seriously, we are a sin-filled people living in a sin-filled world where sin-filled choices have sin-filled consequences. And if you're living in an expectation hangover, you can feel defeated if you choose that. Or you can feel that you have been in class all the way through today with the Lord Jesus giving you the opportunity to make dumb mistakes so you can help others as you move forward. Your choice. And then the third one, we can feel inundated inundated with so much news that is bad, inundated with so many tasks that we try to accomplish that we just feel like, I am so overwhelmed, I don't know what to do. But we, we, we're not simply our feelings. We, we are whole body creations. We are whole body people, body, mind, soul, and spirit. But these feelings we have, these are the ones that we're not quite sure what to do with. And at times, these feelings can grab a hold of our soul and they can drag us where God never intended us to go. But if we don't learn how to manage these things, what will happen is our temperament, which is the part of our personality that everybody else experiences around us, what will happen is we will make these sin-filled choices and we'll move on to such a degree that we have no hope to overcome overwhelm. And overwhelm becomes a way of our life. And we even describe when people say, how are you doing? We become defined by I'm so tired, I'm so busy, I'm so broke, I'm so overwhelmed. And people begin to know you and they see you coming down the hall as the person that's just living in a constant perpetual state of overwhelm. And I don't know about you, but that's exhausting. I have been in an extended state of overwhelm. I have been where I wanted to just quit. I have been where I just thought I can't take any more until such time as I came to this one understanding truth. For the vast majority of us, we chose to stay in overwhelm rather than choosing the most simplistic choices in life. And I want to give you four of them today that help us overcome that because I learned I made bad choices and hurt relationships when I stayed in a constant state of overwhelm. So if you're living where you need some good choices so that you can have some good outcomes, if you're living where you need to have better relationships so you can have better friendships and better love in your life, these four are for you. First, I want to get this one thing out of the way. You ready? Here's the umbrella. I've said it once already. We are a sin-filled people living in a sin-filled world. Now, having said that, don't hear me say how horrible you are. What I'm saying to you is that when I was born and when you were born, it didn't take us long into our developmental stage before we began the process of selfishness and sin. And now at the stage of 61, after all these years, I still have a proclivity for and at times preference for sinful choices. Now you might be here or watching online and you say, Chuck, I do not like this word sin. It sounds judgmental. It sounds harsh. I don't want to hear it. Okay, then I'll change that word for you. Maybe you don't want to hear that I started a sinful life as a child. So let me use another term. You began a selfish life as a child 
that grew into a series that will last your life of poor, selfish choices. And those choices are in opposition to God's plan for your life. God, the creator and sustainer of this world and the one who created you has this wonderful plan for your life. And every time you make a choice not to follow that plan, that's what we call sin. Those are poor choices. And the consequence for those become more severe as we generationally grow older. But watch this. They also grow more sincere when we become more spiritually mature. And in that understanding, we go to Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see Paul painting a picture of what we've been talking about. We find ourselves in overwhelm because we find ourselves in darkness. So before I knew Jesus, before I accepted God's free gift of life and eternal life found in Jesus and in a relationship with Jesus, before I had that, the Bible teaches me that I not only lived in darkness, but I was part of darkness. There was no light within me. There was no light around me. If I shut all the lights off in here instantaneously and we went dark, some of you would enter overwhelm just like that. Because you can't see where to go and at times don't recognize where you are. There are children in your homes that when the power goes out and it is 11 p.m., they're scared to death. And that's true for some of you. Without light, we find ourselves in a spirit and a sense and a mindset of being overwhelmed. But Paul says, but now. Keep those two words in perspective, but now. Listen to what the text says in Ephesians 5, 8. For once you were full of darkness, and that term, full of darkness, is literally taught that you are part of darkness. It's not just that, hey, you weren't filled with light, but you were filled with darkness, but that you are engulfed in darkness. This is where drowned comes in. It is like you are drowned with no light in your life. With light, what we know comes life. Jesus said that he was the what of the world? The light of the world. What did he also say? I am the way. I am the life. Well, Jesus puts all this together. And in this text says, before you knew me, you once were full of, you were darkness. But now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. The text is literally saying we once lived as darkness We once were dark, and it was all around us, and it tells us, yikes, but now, but now you are light in the Lord. That text, if you broke it all down, would say, you are light because one thing, you are light in the Lord, and the Lord is light in you. So what happens is, in a world full of darkness where God, his creation is living this sinful life, God in his perfection is weeping and is sorrowful that his creation has chosen with their free will sinfulness, selfishness, and poor choices that are opposed to his plan for them, in his perfection knows there's no room for us in his world because there's no sin in his world. There's no shame in his world. There's no poor choices in his world. There's only perfection. But there we were the opposite of perfection. He is light. We are darkness. 
So he decides that his creation that he loves so much, and if you're sitting here right now and you say, but Chuck, you have no idea what I've done with my life, it doesn't matter because there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't serve enough for it. You can't go to the right church enough for it. It is free for you. God said, here's my plan. I'm going to send Jesus, my son, who's never sinned, He's going to be born in that little hamlet of Bethlehem of a virgin. He's going to live a sinless, perfect life. And because of that, he's going to choose to shed his blood as the payment for all of the world's sin. But now not the church at large sin, not you as a family sin, but you, individual you. Sugar Hill Sam, Sugar Hill Sarah, he did that for you. He died on the cross for you to pay for your sin, your selfishness, your bad choices that are opposed to God's will for your life. And you say, well, who would love me enough to do that? Jesus. And I know that because he did that. So he gave his life willingly, and that would help us understand the Jews didn't kill Jesus, the Romans didn't kill Jesus, Jesus got on that cross because of my bad choices and your bad choices. And so in doing that, what I know about Jesus is that he loves me more than anybody, because who would do that for you? Only Jesus, the son of the living God, buried, rose from the dead, hung around 40 days with about 400 people to witness his resurrection, and now sits behind, beside God the Father in heaven praying for you right now that you might know him and his light would enter into your world of darkness and give you a path out of overwhelm. But now watch this. Come on, girl, tell me. But now watch this. The key phrase here is in the Lord. The only light you offer is Jesus. The only way out of overwhelm is Jesus. The only way to heaven is Jesus. And the only way for you to be at peace with God is through Jesus. You say, well, Chuck, that just sounds so just exclusive. I, I don't like that part of it. Okay, watch this. At no point did God decide he needed to ask our opinion on that. At no point did God say, I'm going to step into heaven and take a poll. What God said was, I'm going to make a way so simple for you that if you can set your selfishness aside for a moment, I'm going to bring a gift called my son Jesus, and he's going to give you life full of light and abundance in this life and eternity in heaven, and he's going to set it at the door of your heart, and then he's going to knock on the door, and he's going to wait for you to answer. And when you do, you can pick that gift up, unwrap it, and it's your gift, Jesus. The fact that he died, rose from the dead, did all that as forgiveness to you, and all you have to do is receive it, and it's all yours. Thank you, Lord. And you say, well, wait a minute. I can, you mean I could do that? And it's, I mean, it's not a matter of how much I give or how much, what church I go to. or I mean, what do I have to do? Answer the door, unwrap the gift, it's all yours. Well, but Chuck, I feel like I need to come before God and wail and cry. And, and God says, no, I, I, don't, I don't need your emotions. I need your heart. And when you do, I'm going to give you the light of the world. I'm going to give you the life of the world. I'm going to give you the truth of the world and the way of the world. And this is the way out of overwhelm. Step number one, if you get out of overwhelm, is settle that you are anchored and settled firmly in Christ Jesus. 
Do that right now. It sounds just like this. Jesus, come into my life and, and take over. Be my boss. Give me the light. I want you. And you say, Chuck, but I don't want to join your church. That's totally cool. But don't give up on Jesus because you don't want to join a church. Don't give up on Jesus because you're whacked out in your life. Jesus never once asked you to get your junk together to come to him. As a matter of fact, he said, I came to you in the middle of your junk so that I could help you. This is the way out of overwhelm to first settle where I am with Jesus. Secondly, learn to settle what is in your your control and what is not. Okay, the first lesson of knowing this is this. Are you ready? You, my friend, are not God. I know some of us think we are. I know some of us are sure that if we were God, we'd do it a lot differently than he did. Aren't you glad you're not God? Amen. Let me go even further. Aren't you glad I'm not God? Amen. I mean, if I were, Krispy Kremes would have zero calories. Just saying. But we have to know what is in our control and what is not. We need to recognize that some of us are overwhelmed by urgency or change that is thrust on us. Some of us feel overwhelmed because somebody has changed something and we didn't like it. Some of us are overwhelmed because other people did stuff to you. And and could I just say to you, remember, you're not God. Let him deal with that junk because you can't fix it. And stop all the worry and the fret over what you can't fix. Number two, some of us create our own overwhelm. We take in so much junk and we, we, we participate in so much gossip. And before long, we've convinced ourselves it is the end of the world. And you know what God says? I don't care who's in, I don't care who's in office. I'm in charge. I don't care about a pandemic. I'm in charge. I'm going to use them whether, whether they love me or not. And my, my world's going to move on in my will and my way. Don't you want to be on my side? And the answer is, you doggone right you do. Because if you're not on God's side, you will lose. I know how the end of the story is. He wins all the time. There will never be a time he doesn't win. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose. I'm in. I'm all in. Some of us, many of us, we imagine are overwhelmed. We pile on all day. It's just our human brain will run to negativity if we let it. And we just pile on one after another. Every problem in the world. It's like, oh, my stars, those poor children over there, they, they don't have shoes. Okay, but maybe you've got one pair of shoes you can give. Okay, well, did you know that God will use that one thing and you don't have to worry about those kids? He loves them far more than you do. I mean, seriously. But Chuck, what are we going to do about the racial tension in America? Okay, well, listen to me. You're not going to fix what's happening in Seattle, Washington. Stop it. Here's what you can control. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, I, but, but Chuck, I, I'm so tired of this divisive politics and all this. Okay, love one another. I can do that. Well, then let me give you the pastoral version in love. Shut up doing everything else and do that. Stop it. I mean, truly, stop piling on with how awful things are and know that in the presence and the power of Christ, this world is under control because he's got it. 
No political party has it. He does. Finally, some of us allow the desire of approval for others to create our overwhelm. We say yes to so many good things, we create zero margin in our life. Okay, this is Pastor Chuck preaching into the mirror. I say yes to so many good things, I can erase margin in my life. You say, well, what is margin? Financially, margin is when all you have money to do is pay your bills and you're broke every month. There's nothing left over. When there's no margin in your life relationally, there is no time for you to be gracious and kind and loving with one another because you're eating in front of the television or you're working 100 hours a week and you've decided that whatever that is is more important than your relationship. I'll promise you if you stay at it, it won't be a relationship long. Some of us have decided in the middle of this that we want to please so many people that we will do anything we can for human attention and for human affirmation. We will take God out of our equation because we're fueled so much by somebody saying, attaboy. And in the middle of that, God's saying, say no, say no. I'd rather have five minutes with you than for you to do that for an hour and a half. And then we fill our schedule and we look at it and we blame the people we said yes to when we need to look in the mirror and blame ourselves. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Create two lists and remember what you're anchored to. If Jesus is where you're at, if you're solidified in in your relationship with Jesus, here's the two lists. What is it that I have to do that's in my control? Maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's a task, maybe it's forgiveness, whatever that is, what is it that's in my control? And the second list, what is not in my control? And be ruthless with this. And when you get there and you see the list that's not, that is not in your control, I want you to be as though you are physically grabbing it from your soul, pulling it out, putting it in a bag, grabbing it by the top, and setting it over and say, God, I trust you so much that I'm going to leave you with this stuff that I can't control. Because God, if I can trust you for heaven, surely I can trust you with that. If I can trust you for salvation, surely I can trust you with that. And you say, yeah, but Chuck, you don't know what all's in that bag. God does and couldn't care less. Because you can't build a bag too heavy that he can't carry. Ever or any time. So you might as well bundle it off and get it off your shoulders and put it on his because however you deal with it will not be as solid, as complete, or fulfilled as he will. When you start looking at the problems of the world and you get overwhelmed with you think it's all about you and what you have to do, what you're really saying is, I am God and I don't trust that God. You say, well, Chuck, I would never think that. Then don't act that way. Build yourself two lists. Be clear about it. Those things that you can control, you're going to fix absolutely. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. And I know what you're thinking. Paul had been smoking a hymnal when he wrote that one. We worry about everything. There's so much to worry about. Chuck, there's no way you can not worry about anything. This is a guy that was shipwrecked a couple times, scourged and beaten. This is a guy that once was a terrorist that became a preacher. I mean, this guy, his life was in and out of prisons, snake bit. I mean, you name it, this guy's had it. If there ever was somebody who could live in a state of overwhelm, it was Paul. But he said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, this, all of a sudden, 
what hits the wall right here is what you believe about God. Right now, it's about, is this life with Jesus real or is this life simply I go to church and I play a role like a lot of my life? Because right now, if Jesus is not real, what you're saying is, but I have to worry about everything. And when I pray, I feel like nothing's done. But listen, Paul says, pray about everything. He doesn't say pray about the big stuff and don't sweat the small stuff. He says pray about everything. You say, well, Chuck, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to inundate God with prayers because there are people who need him far more than me. Okay, spiritually, that's just dumb. Listen, an, 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 an omniscient God who can and does do anything and everything has the supernatural capacity to hear your prayer, my prayer, and millions of other prayers at the same time purposefully and individually and then responds to us one-on-one. You say, well, Chuck, how does he do that? I don't know because he's God and we're not. But I have seen it happen in my life over and over and over and over again because clearly those starving kids in Haiti need to hear God more than I do, right? But according to God, whatever I bring to him is the most important thing to him right then, right now. Pray about everything. And then listen to this. When you've done that, tell God what you need. I love it when people say, well, doesn't God already know what I need? Well, of course he does. Then why do this? He wants you to come to him in humility, knowing you can't do it on your own. You need him. Somebody was talking to me about this week about all the mess in the world. And I said, haven't you realized we are the same people as the people of Israel? Things are great. A year ago this month, we had a state of the union, and you would have thought that nothing could possibly happen to the United States of America. And all of a sudden, a pandemic hit, and the world changed. We're just like the people of Israel. And all of a sudden, has God fixed this mess? Then he says, after you come to him in humility, Lord, this is what I need. And by the way, please make sure that in your prayer, every need includes, I need wisdom for. Because he promises when you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. And then he says, and thank him for all he's done. Do you see the simplicity of coming out of overwhelm? Stop worrying and pray about everything. Which, by the way, the translation of stop worrying and pray about everything is take everything out of your control. Remove it from your soul of frustration and anxiety. Lay it at the feet of God, knowing he'll take it and handle it so much better. So stop worrying. Give it away in prayer. Ask God for wisdom for what you need and then thank him for what he's already done. And that formula says then in verse 7, then you will experience God's peace. I don't know about you, but I need peace because that's the opposite of being overwhelmed. And he says, I'm going to give you peace when you do these things, which exceeds any limit that we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul was a guy who knew what it was like to be overwhelmed because he lived there, but he determined there was a better way. The choice is, will you? Third, get serious about your spiritual routines. When I say this, people immediately start checking out because people are like, you know, Chuck, I just don't believe spending a few minutes with God every day is going to make that big a difference. All right, watch this. You can make that choice, but you are choosing whether you're going to stay in a spirit of overwhelmed or not. And you say, but Chuck, I don't even know how to do it. All right, 
Listen to these four things. I've said it for 10 years. I'm going to keep saying it until we figure it out. You ready? Start your day every day with gratitude. Right now, God, I'm grateful for, and then write two things down. You say, well, Chuck, I got it all right here. Most of you can't remember what you have for breakfast. You got 980 other things going on in your head, and your kids are asking you for this or that, and you got 12 places you got to go this afternoon, and you got five things you got to do for work. And in the middle of that, you're thinking, I got it right here. No, you don't. Write it down. I'm grateful for these two things. Scripture. You've heard me say it a thousand times. Scripture. It's not about how much you get in you. It's about getting it in you. Get Scripture in you. Whether you do that by way of listening to the weekday podcast, our preference is that you do that and read Scripture, but get it in you. Capture. I, I, I put down three things. What do I know is true? What has God taught me over the past 24 hours? And what do I do now? I'm not, listen, write a bullet. I'm not asking you to write a flowery journal and put it out there in lock and key inside a diary. And last, pray. Every moment, start your day and open a conversation with God. And Lord, I need wisdom. And I don't want to end this call with amen until I hit my, my head on the pillow and I'm ready to say amen. And you say, well, Chuck, I got to have some help. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't write any of that down. I don't have the app. I, even when I do, I'm forgetting to look at it. What do I do? I want you to go to the store right after this and get a copy of this book, which will give you 30 days of building that habit, all right? Now, watch this. Only for this service and only for this day, if you'll go over there and ask for one of the five copies, we'll give you one today. Totally free because that'll get you going on your spiritual disciplines. It is so easy. If you don't take me up on a free offer and you don't start your spiritual disciplines this week, shame on you. Because, because this is, well, I'm promising you it's a way out of overwhelm. Finally, I want to ask you to take on this concept which God taught to the, the prophet Elijah. When Elijah was at the peak moment of his ministry, he was exhausted. He was so worn out that he wanted to die. And God nurtured and cared for him, but he didn't send him a book. He didn't send him to a conference. He didn't send him to a retreat. Here's what God said to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Elijah, take a nap, eat some food, and repeat after me. You say, well, you know, Chuck, I'm one of those people that can survive on four hours of sleep a night. You can puff your chest out on that all you want, but every clinical study in the world would show you're going backward every day. Harvard says that when you work more than eight and a half to nine hours a day, when you cross that line of nine hours, your efficiency has gone so low that you are literally going backward and you're going to have to make up for that time the next day. Do we think it's coincidence that God taught us that there is night and there is day and there is Sabbath and we are to live it? I, I speak from experience because I was that guy that puffed out his chest and was proud of how long and how hard I worked. And we ought to work hard and we ought to work smart. But listen to me, friend. If you're working in such a way that you can't trust God with tomorrow until you live the whole day, you are missing the point of why God has given you meaningful work. And when you say, well, Chuck, when I'm living in overwhelm, I, I have to work extra and I, and, and I don't sleep well and I, I don't eat well. And I've done the same thing when I've lived in overwhelm and I've had an extended period of time in overwhelm. 
I didn't eat well, I didn't drink well, I didn't drink water, I didn't walk, I didn't get out, I didn't move, and I didn't sleep, and I thought it was all on me, and I forgot all about the fact that this is about God and not about me, and when I tried to do it all on my own, I failed miserably to the point, like Elijah, that I just wanted to die because I thought I can't go one more day and overwhelm, and you know what I realized? It's my choice. It's not the church's fault. It's nobody's fault. It's not the world's fault. It's my fault. Because God has given me a model for how I don't have to live and overwhelm. It's all about do I trust God? Period. You say, well, Chuck, honestly, I'm, I, I'm overwhelmed right now at the thought of these four things. I didn't write anything down. What am I going to do with it? I can get this, but that's only one of the four. All right, if you're going to write anything down or you're going to get anything I say, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, then we're going to say amen and go home. Because I have fooled around and got hungry. Number one, you are not God. Stop acting like it. You are not God. He wants all of your overwhelm and he can handle it. Let him handle it. And stop, for goodness sake, thinking that, well, the rest of the world desperately needs him more than I do. Can I just say to you, look right here, man. How many of you have been a Christian more than 10 years? Can I see your hand? If you've been a Christian more than 10 years. All right, well, that's probably the bulk of us in the room. Let me just stop and say to you, if you've been a Christian more than 10 years and you still, like me, have the ability to live in overwhelm, then the first thing for you to do is go back to step number one and ask yourself, how settled am I with the power of Christ in my life? Because you can have all of it you want. If you don't have enough, it's because you haven't asked for it. Step two, write it down. What you control, what you don't. Be ruthless with it. And those things you can't control, give them to God. You say, well, Chuck, I need something tangible. I'm one of those people that works from a list. Well, bless your heart. Then let me give you this one. You ready? Then when you make your list, take that list and fold it neatly, because I know you will. Because some of you are going to type it and double space it and justify it and put flowers around it. Fold it, put it neatly, put it in an envelope, and I'm not making this up, and put God on the envelope. Put a stamp on it. Put it in the mailbox to go out. It will blow somebody's brain out. (laughs) Some postal worker somewhere is going to go, how about that? And they're going to open that bad boy, and you have no idea what God might do. Chuck, is that illegal? Possibly. (laughs) Possibly. Number three, get your spiritual routines in order. Gratitude, scripture, capture, and prayer. I'll promise you, when you do it this way, it's eight minutes. You say, well, Chuck, I don't have eight minutes. That's a lie. You have eight minutes for whatever you think is important. It's free. It's got all four in it for the next 30 days. Just grab one of them. There's five different versions. Just grab one. Nobody over there is going to say, hey, you're going to pay for that. I can't. Just take it. I don't care. Just take it. I would rather you get into spiritual routines than buy it any day. But get there. Finally, learn that Sabbath matters. And Sabbath is not just Sunday or whatever day that you stop to rest. Sabbath is when you know that each day you need quietude and solitude to speak with God and, most importantly, 
hear from God. Sabbath is when you stop the hamster wheel of this world, stop the intake of all of the horizontal knowledge and let everything that comes into you be vertical wisdom. That's what it looks like. You say, well, Chuck, if I do these things, are you promising me that God can overcome overwhelm in my life? And what I'm telling you is I know it because I've lived it. I know it because I've carried hundreds of people through it. And I know it because God promised it. And he is a God who cannot and will not lie. Let's pray. God, today we thank you and praise you that you gave us a way out of overwhelm. And to overcome overwhelm, you gave us Jesus. So today, if our desire is to overcome this overwhelm, God, would you remind us that the way we receive Jesus is to un- open that package that's been laid at our heart and you've knocked on the door of our heart and said, here it is. And God, as we do that, let us be reminded that Jesus died for us. Thank you. He rose from the dead for us. Thank you. He came to give us life in abundance today. Thank you. A way out of overwhelm tomorrow. Thank you. And heaven for e- eternity. Thank you. And friend, if you want Jesus, you just say, I, Jesus, come into my life. Thank you. And if you're here and, man, you know Christ and you've been walking with Jesus, then overwhelm and overcoming it is just around the corner. It's taking Jesus for who he is. So, Lord, we praise you and thank you today that you're our way out. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Stand with me for just a second. This old hymn is so beautiful. On Christ the solid rock I stand All of the ground is sinking sand All of the ground is sinking sand Come on, church. On Christ the solid rock I stand Let's find our way out of overwhelm this week. Let this Jesus we talked about go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight. Friend, that's the way out of overwhelm. Let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment because, friend, he is always good and you are always loved. That's the way out of overwhelm. And when you're overwhelmed and it feels like you're still in darkness, Let the light of the world, Jesus, come and pick you up and carry you, not around it. But man, right through the middle of it, you can see what he's doing. And then when he sets you down victoriously on your two feet and wipes away your tears and kisses you on the forehead, when he wraps his big loving arms around you and looks at you eyeball to eyeball and you hear your Savior say, my child, man, the voice gets soft and he says, I'll carry you out of this overwhelm because, say it with me, I love you. Oh, man, how sweet is that? God bless you, friend. Go in peace.